and welcome back to another episode of InCheck with Fintech. This week, we have the pleasure of hosting Paul Becker, CEO and co-founder of Recap, a Berlin-based startup for recurring revenue financing. In this role, Paul is responsible for strategy, commercial direction, and investor relations of the company. Prior to launching Recap, Paul co-founded the digital wealth management platform Liquid, today Europe's leading wealth tech for affluent clients managing more than 2 billion euros and led it for over three years. He had also co-founded the fintech consultancy firm Undo, with which he occasionally invests in early stage startups. Enjoy listening. So then I would say, Paul, without further ado, welcome to InCheck with Fintech. Thank you. Great to be here. We always start with the guests introducing themselves a little bit. So uh, would you mind giving a short intro on your own biography, if you will? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'm Paul. Um, I'm one of the founders uh, of Recap. Um, I'm in fintech now for, for quite some time, actually, uh, since I graduated from a university, uh, I've never done anything else, uh, except, uh, for, uh, a quick uh, pause, uh, after, uh, I founded my first, uh, company, uh, called liquid, which is a robo advisor, um, and uh, left it operationally. I, I did a little bit of consulting, um, that was not only finance and fintech focused, um, but mostly, uh, and thereafter I started Recap, which is uh, also a fintech company. So I would say since I work, I'm focused on fintech uh, and briefly about uh, Recap. Um, uh, Recap uh, is basically a company that is providing um, funding uh, and insights uh, to SaaS companies and also to other companies uh, that have recurring revenue. So in the end, uh, we are one of the providers of non-dilutive funding, which I think um, is by now um, quite a known term. It was not like three to four years ago uh, or so, um, but by now I think many uh, have heard of it. Um, and we, on top of uh, that non-dilutive financing solution, uh, also offer a wealth of insights and intelligence um, for our customers. So analyzing the data that they provide, come up with certain trends and help them understand their business better um, and also how they should fund themselves. How did that idea to start recap came about is it because you've is it something you walked into when you were doing insolvency or liquid or how did you decide to start a recap yeah I, in 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 my experience it's one of those um typical maybe uh untold stories um so it was not like i woke up uh, and had that idea of recap in my mind and thought uh, that way i will change the world um uh, definitely not. Um, uh, indeed, the trigger was uh, one of our consulting projects. We were hired uh, on a due diligence project um, for a private equity investor to support uh, that company um, evaluating uh, uh, a target uh, that they um, uh, were considering to invest in. Um, and we did that a couple of times. Um, and uh, yeah, we were just wondering whether there is room to build a product that is completely or partially automating um, commercial due diligence and in general certain aspects of due diligence. Um, and then we started some research uh, to understand what data that you typically look at could be extracted in an automated fashion via APIs. Um, and then we got on the whole train of cloud enterprise software um, and uh, understood, okay, more and more data is actually um, accessible uh, via APIs. And then we thought about, okay, you can, you can build a due diligence tool with that, but what else can you do with it? 
And then we heard about revenue-based finance for the uh, first time. And then another iteration, um, we thought, okay, um, a product uh, like uh, non-dilutive funding um, for SaaS companies could be a good uh, wedge into the market, something very specific where you have a need, um, where you have a business model. Um, but in the end, um, to summarize it, it were a couple of steps in the end that, we, that we've taken um, from Uh, let's say, a uh, slightly different angle to that market until we ended up with our current product um, that we decided uh, yeah, to build first. A couple kind of occurrences triggered the idea uh, and at some point it all came together, uh, which made you build the product that you have today, basically. Exactly, exactly. And I think um, in, in some PR stories and, and maybe for, for certain founders and companies it actually happened like that, it's always um, uh, presented in a way that somebody had that brilliant idea um, and at least I, for me it never never happened like that. It was more like uh, you have a certain idea, you dig a little bit deeper uh, into a certain space and then you um, discover something new and suddenly you, you sit in a new company um, but it's not like um, Uh, that that one idea uh, was in my mind for 10 years or so. Um, absolutely not. No, right. Okay, that makes sense. And it's specifically for companies with recurring revenue, right? Why is it specifically for those? Is that lower risk to fund? Is it because it does indeed offer the opportunity to automate more? Or why for companies with recurring revenue? Yeah, um, actually... Our focus uh, was when when we when we defined um, our ICP, um, uh, we we did not at first really think about recurring revenue that much, but more um, about uh, software companies and then obviously also about SaaS companies. Um, why? For for two reasons. Um, the first being that uh, software companies typically just lack tangible assets that a traditional lender wants to see um, uh, as collateral um, uh, to lend against these. So um, you can argue that uh, a company that lacks um, tangible assets uh, for, for that company, it's just tougher to, to, get, a, to get a loan. Um, and that's where we thought, okay, less competition and more demand. And the second was um, in the end, uh, as I explained, uh, our Our thinking or our starting point was um, from a due diligence standpoint and automatically assessing uh, companies. So for us, it's very important that um, the companies we work with have a solid data infrastructure in place so we can extract um, the data in a structured way. Um, and our thinking was that a software company has just a higher likelihood of having a proper data infrastructure in place because, I mean, it's a software company, so probably they, they think about um, uh, that infrastructure quite a bit. So that was kind of our thinking and that SaaS companies are then uh, the, the prototype uh, of company you look at and that they have recurring revenue and that recurring revenue um, can work as a, um, a type of collateral actually quite well mm -hmm. was more the second step that is now equally important to us, don't get me wrong, but it was not the first thing that we saw, uh, that we thought about. The first thing was more about lack of assets um, and good data infrastructure. And then we thought uh, about uh, recurring revenue. Yeah, exactly, yeah, that makes total sense. So what are then, if you deal, if you look at automating due diligence, right? What are the data points that you look at when a company comes to you and says, okay, we need to get some financing? 
Um, so first of all, bank accounts. Um, that's like uh, the one of the most important and most standardized um, data sources to look at. Luckily, by now uh, we have uh, certain providers that allow you to um, get access to almost any um, bank account. Uh, it was not like that uh, five to ten years ago. Uh, so that's one of the things where I feel like a, a fintech grandpa when I started that type of infrastructure was actually not available. And it's really great to see that you now have that and that this enables a new type um, a new generation of business models that were simply not uh, yeah, conceivable like uh, a couple of years ago. So that's the first important data source. We, we pull um, all, uh, all banking data. Uh, technically, it's only the last three months for, uh, uh, for certain technical reasons. Um, the second um, is uh, accounting data. Uh, so in Germany, um, the, the biggest um, provider uh, that, that companies use uh, for, for accounting data is Datev. Um, in the Netherlands, uh, many use Exact Online. Um, so those are sources uh, that we tap into. Um, and the third and final um, data source, and actually also the most important for us, is subscription data. Um, so in the end, a combination of customer contract and invoice data. Um, and this is where we've built um, a lot of different integrations to companies like Chargebee, Stripe, um, Chargeify. Um, and uh, what their names all are, Billwerk, for example. Um, and we, um, in practice, build new integrations on demand whenever a company um, has something um, something new to offer. And all those um, data uh, is then um, uh, pulled and analyzed. Uh, and based on that, um, we do the underwriting. I can also, uh, if you want me to elaborate a little bit more on that, uh, it might get a little bit technical, um, but it's definitely interesting. Please, yeah, if you could tell me a bit more about that, that'd be uh, interesting. Yeah, so in, in simple terms, um, what what we do is um, we, we have a scorecard that is actually quite similar to what many um, SaaS-focused VCs or also SaaS founders know when they report to their um, investors. Um, so KPIs that are included uh, in that scorecard are, for example, um, uh, your customer acquisition costs, your CLV, CAC uh, payback period, um, but also, of course, your current uh, ARR, uh, your growth rate, um, churn rate, um, and uh, a number of other um, metrics. Um, and for each of those metrics, we have benchmarks. And those benchmarks um, uh, are subject to the category your company is in. So for example, um, if you are in the category um, B2B SaaS, revenue between, um, I don't know, one and three million euro, and you are cash burning, meaning you're not profitable, then you are in, in that bucket and the benchmarks um, are based on all other companies uh, that are in that bucket. So we can actually define whether uh, a single metric that you report is good or not so good. Um, and then all the different metrics with the benchmarks uh, are um, weighted. Uh, and then we come up with an overall a score. Um, and what you then see as a, a customer um, in our uh, web app uh, is a rating um, between A and F. If you have an F, then you unfortunately won't get funding from us. Um, e is like the worst um, uh, rating where you can still get funding and A is the best. Um, and on top of that, you get uh, 
you get um, terms uh, like uh, how much uh, is uh, the maximum liquidity that you can draw and how much do you have to pay for it. But looking at the underwriting again, in the end, it's a scorecard, very similar to what you know uh, from Excel spreadsheets and the like. The only difference in our case is it's automatically calculated based on raw data and not based on certain metrics that somebody reports. Makes sense. So just to be sure, we, we talk about financing and funding. Do you consider it to be financing in the sense of lending money and being a lender or are you funding and taking a stake in the company? No, in our case, it's financing. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, it's debt in the end. Um, so uh, non-dilutive, meaning we don't acquire a stake in a company and you don't uh, dilute your equity uh, if you get funding from us. And that's also one of the main benefits um, in the end. Uh, many companies um, uh, that are VC-backed by nature uh, raise equity rounds and thereby dil dilute their equity. Um, and we offer, I, I wouldn't say an alternative to VC um, because it's not a real alternative. It's more like um, if you think about your, your financing strategy in a proper way, then there are certain types of investments where you want to have um, uh, uh, let's say a long-term financing solution like equity or long-term debt, and then there are other uh, then there are other investment cases um, where you rather want to go for a short-term financing um, solution. Um, and what many companies unfortunately still do today is that they finance everything with equity, and that's not the ideal solution. So in, in our view, um, it really depends on the individual needs of a company. Um, but for certain use cases, it makes sense to use our financing, and for others, uh, it might be better to raise a VC round. Can you make it more specific? Like what are the, which will companies come to you or when do you say, yes, this is a go, good moment to choose financing over funding? Yeah, um, it's a, actually a, a, a quite nice way uh, you put it like financing over funding. If, if I, I, I think I, I will I will use uh, that way <laughs> of describing it uh, in the future. I've never uh, put it that way. That's a good way uh, of explaining it. Um, so in general, I would say the, the higher your certainty around um, uh, return on investment is and the shorter um, the period of time is until the return is realized, the more likely it is that you want to go for our solution instead of equity. What does that mean? What is a specific example? Let's say um, you have ad spend and you know with every euro that you invest into a certain marketing channel you generate a certain amount of leads and out of those leads a certain amount of customers is then one and that takes i don't know half a year or so um, and you have data to back it up uh, and then your customer acquisition uh, acquisition cost payback period would be like maybe six seven eight months or so, then I would say this is a brilliant case. So whenever you need money to invest into this kind of acquisition efforts, you should use our um, funding solution for it or any other um, short-term um, uh, financing uh, solution. But um, if you, on the other hand, um, uh, for example, think about building a new product or um, se setting up a new team, a new department where you don't really know uh, if it will ever pay off uh, uh, or when it will pay off, then it's rather risky uh, to to use um, our uh, money for it. And you should rather think about um, raising equity uh, for it. So that's 
in on a high level probably the easiest way to to think about it it's almost like if the data shows that a method is proven to work then you need more money in order to make that uh wheel spin faster if you will then you're best to choose financing absolutely i mean in the end it's always a question about risk right um if there is a lot of risk uh, involved in an investment um you should uh, as an investor also expect higher returns and equity in general i would say uh, is something where you are willing to take more risk but also expect a higher return and for you as a founder it also means if somebody else is expecting a higher return it also means that that capital is more expensive for you yeah. um so um if you have a have a grip on a certain measure um then uh uh, short-term debt um, uh, is is probably the way to go. Yeah. And you, and so it's financing, so you don't take a stake, but I can imagine that maybe the financing that you do of companies, you want to make sure that it does work out because that decreases your default rate, obviously. Are you involved in any way? Like, do you try and get involved when there's a company coming to you and saying, we need financing, or is it just, okay, fully automated, you repay it, uh, if you default, then you default, uh, and that's calculated with any rate? No, um, actually, we are very much involved in, in every company, but not in the sense that we take board seats or have certain covenants or other rights. Um, but um, as of now, I think every single company on our platform um, uh, was in touch with somebody from our team at least once. Um, because in the end, it's also a bit about trust um, and people just want to know where the liquidity is coming from. Um, if they push the button, will the money actually arrive? So it's a little bit, in the end, we are all human and it uh, doesn't matter how automated and great it is, um, at least at our current scale, um, there there is still a lot of um, personal interaction and that's um, uh, also uh fine for us um and then again um as we um continue uh, to invest into our capability to provide insights and analyze data to unlock value for um companies um we also get better and maybe we we, we see something in the data that uh, uh the company itself did not uh see and then we of course um try uh try to discuss uh, things like that. Um, so I would say probably you can you can see us as a slightly more active sparing partner, but um, you don't have obligations to report to us other than um, uh, the data sources that you connect to our platform. They need to be connected and as long as they are connected, all is good and there is no additional work uh, involved. But if you have questions, we are available. Yeah, so it's a no string attached advice advisory role, if you will. Yeah, that's uh, that's how you can put it. I don't want to lead to wrong expectations, so it's mm. not like um, you can expect from us the same level of um, attention uh, that you may get from your biggest equity investor who is happy to sit down with you like uh, two times a week or so. That's obviously not our model, um, but so far not a single company expected that from us. So I think um, it's it's very aligned um uh, the interest that our customers have and uh, that we have in that regard are you struggling to plan your hiring strategy for 2023 in today's market pcn is here to help 
We offer a step-by-step -step consultation to provide tailored solutions to improve your hiring plan. Contact us today by visiting teampcn.com contact us to schedule your consultation and let us help you be ahead of your competition. Is are the, what are the size of companies that you deal with? When What is the point that they come to you more? I guess it's not the infancy stage, it's probably when they're a bit more progressed, right? I would say around Series A is probably the sweet spot if you are a VC-backed company. Um, we also have um, a number of bootstrap companies uh, on our platform and the average company has annual revenue somewhere around two to three million euros. Um, that's kind of the current sweet spot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm curious to hear your kind of false observations on the market over the last 12 months, but to me, one question to set the uh, kind of goalpost. You are now active in Germany, right? That's, a, that's your focus market at the moment. We are active in Germany and the Netherlands. Um, right. uh, Germany is our bigger market, yeah. So what have you seen happening over those past 12 months? Obviously in light of everything that's going on, a potential recession around the corner, uh, I think the, the moment of the period of free money from the equity funding side is definitely over. Uh, VCs have become uh, more uh, taking a step back with uh, and less willing to put money in. And how have you seen that yeah, progress over the past 12 months when it comes to financing? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's fair to say that the funding market for private uh, tech companies uh, has already seen better days. Uh, uh, that's, I guess, fair to say. Um, and as you as you said, it's tougher to raise funding. And if you actually get funded, terms are definitely not comparable to what was common roughly a year ago. Um, but I think uh, on the other side, uh, especially if you look at recent announcements uh, of the Fed, for example, that clearly sends a positive signal and public tech companies, especially in the US, uh, saw some recovery in the last few days. Um, so in my in my view, no matter if public markets go up or down, it typically takes a couple of months until this new sentiment spills over to private markets. Um, and if what we currently see in public tech markets continues, and there are reasons why you could believe that, I think uh, it could be that funding markets uh, for private tech uh, will be a lot better in six to nine months. Um, so that's obviously a lot of uncertainty involved and yeah. nobody can can tell you what will be um, tomorrow, but I'm I'm quite optimistic uh, that, that things will get better and we are currently, um, uh, we are currently uh, maybe not exactly at the bottom, but uh, I don't think it's getting much worse than what, what you currently have. For us, no. our daily business, um, what has changed? Um, I think it's fair to say that demand increased uh, just because companies uh, uh, feel, oh, I won't get uh, cheap money uh, from the sources I, I'm used to uh, ask for money. Um, so I look elsewhere, but I also have to admit uh, that our um, approval rate went down. So um, the quality of companies that look for funding um, seems to have gotten a little bit worse, um, which is also to be expected. So overall for us, I cannot really say that the current environment is better or worse um, than it was uh, a couple of months ago operationally, um, because again, there might be more demand, but risk is also increased and you need to have a different approach. And it's not like um, VCs don't 
they hand out money. Now we hand out the money, how it's working. Um, uh, so yeah, it's definitely exciting times, especially if you are such a young company as we are and you don't have like 10 years of track record or so and your own underwriting models um, uh, are still uh, in, in a validation phase. Uh, it's definitely interesting to go through uh, such a different market environment directly after uh, you launched. Um, but uh, so far, uh, uh, I'm I'm quite proud that we did not have a single default in our portfolio, um, uh, and uh, I'm pretty sure not every competitor can say that. No, I mean that uh, solidifies um, your scorecards. I would say, right, your underwriting methods. Uh, yeah, I think that, like you said, for a young company like yours to have that kind of confidence and that proof is now in the data that you uh, basically use the right type of uh, metrics, if you will. I'm not surprised also by. You seeing now an uptick in the type of the number of companies that come to you for financing, but the quality going down, I think that is uh, to be expected. Um, you say there's no one has defaulted yet, which super big achievement. Has to, have you seen companies that you finance struggle more though, in general? Like, do you see there is an effect on them in, in, with regards to uh, where they see coming in? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I, I think, um, one one of the smaller things uh, that we that we see is um, typically um, VC back companies uh, finish their budgets for the next year sometime in November or December. Um, uh, I know that because I, I have experienced that like for the last couple of years. But the last year, end of twenty twenty two, so many companies. Uh, uh, that were on our platform and we thought it's a good chance to now interact with them and talk about uh, the budget plans and just told us they are not yet finished. There are discussions in the board. Um, so there is some tense dynamic around what is the right strategy to to position um, the companies uh, in, in the right way. Um, and that does not necessarily mean that those companies are in danger. Maybe it's really just a precautious measure uh, to, to really think is now the right time to invest more in growth or do you want to continue to to take a step back? Um, so that's definitely one of the things that we see. Um, but um, there are definitely also a number of companies that plan to raise funds and did not do that, uh, that cut costs massively. Um, uh, but in the end, I, I I don't think I have any specific insight that you uh, have not seen in a headline in uh, mainstream media. So it's like what what we see with the companies is typically very um, it, it fits to what you what you read. Like um, companies cut costs, companies are less focused on costs, more uh, looking at capital efficiency. Uh, that's what I can definitely confirm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I think it's a uh, healthy progression of the market uh, and of the companies. If you know the evolution. Uh, in a sense. The European number one merchant payments event is coming up in Berlin from March 28th to the 30th. MPE 2023 is the destination for industry innovation, bringing together over 1,300 people and companies redefining the merchant payments ecosystem. Uniquely focused on merchant payments, the 16th annual MPE connects more than 350 big merchants with over 1,000 acquirers, PSPs, established companies, as well as startups from more than 40 countries. Expect three days of world-class content delivered by top industry leaders and influencers. For more information, visit MerchantPaymentsEcosystem.com and use the promo code PCN to get a 10% discount on your ticket. Yeah, and um, hey, back to you, because this is not, like I said, an appreciation, not your first rodeo. You founded uh, Liquid Investments before, which 
from doing a bit of research, I found are the same founders that you started recap with. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. That sounds like a very uh, happy marriage then. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a very interesting story. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm very thankful for, for having such a team. And, uh, I, I know of quite some companies who struggle because of, um, let's say not ideal dynamics in the founding team. And it's all great. If you, if you found a team that you really trust, that is, um, complimentary, uh, regarding the skill sets. Um, and yeah, for Arne Jonas, uh, and I, um, I mean, we know each other now for roughly 10 years since university. And since then we worked together as, as a team, um, uh, during the liquid times, but also thereafter. Um, so that was indeed, uh, quite a journey. Um, we, we even shared an apartment, uh, for more than five years in Berlin. <laughs> so it was working and living together really 24 seven, um, uh, unfortunately, uh, the shared uh, apartment is no longer. Um, we uh, uh, we grew out of it, um, but uh, it's okay. I, I always like to to look back to that uh, time. It was uh, uh, it was definitely fun, a lot of fun. Probably sounds more romantic now in hindsight than it was maybe <laughs> sometimes in the moment itself, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean uh, the the biggest advantage uh, is you can also work together at home and the biggest disadvantage is you can also work together from home you know um, in, in the end um, it's very efficient um, but uh, it uh, it can lead to an unhealthy lifestyle um, so uh, if if you ever think about moving in with your co-founders think about it um, it's uh, it's an interesting experience but might not be for everyone and definitely not forever Having found the same companies with the same co-founders now, are there any learns that you have along the way? Is it a continuous learning process or? Um, it, there, are, there are a lot of learnings mm, and sure. uh, I I must admit, I don't uh, take note of, of every single learning, but there are some major things that obviously have changed. And I think the biggest change when I look back to when we started Liquid, um, we, we had we were a lot younger and a lot um, more inexperienced and we just had different um, goals for the company. Back then, our goal was really just to build a product and to find a first customer for it and to raise money for a company and uh, that it really works to prove to yourself that you can actually do that. Um, and uh, now for recap, uh, those things that I mentioned were just given. It was like, okay, for sure we will build a product and for sure we will find at least one customer and for sure we will raise the funding that we need. Um, uh, and uh, let's say the, the goals were a little bit bigger so that uh, um, from the beginning on it was clear, okay, we definitely want to do to build an international company this time. For, for Liquid, um, we were only focused on the German market. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we just had, had bigger goals in the end and I think uh, that's that's also part of an entrepreneurial journey. Um, when you've experienced certain things um, uh, and you continue to uh, continue your hunt for competition and challenge, then you you look for something new, um, and that definitely uh, changed in the time. But obviously, there are also like smaller aspects. Um, if you, and that's also, by the way, 
uh, um, a helpful thing about staying in one industry um, for a while um, because you can uh, you can use certain very industry specific um, insights again and again and for a regulated market like uh, the financial industry um, there are quite some insights um, like for example that it is regulated and that you cannot offer every product just like that and that you need to think about before you lend money to companies in Germany. Um, uh, you cannot just do that. Um, uh, those are things um, where it's definitely helpful if you've done that before. And uh, in that regard, I would say um, starting the second company also got a little bit more efficient because for certain um, parts uh, of our project plan, um, we already knew exactly how we would do that. And for others, obviously not um, because an asset management company is something different than a lending company. Um, but uh, yeah, some aspects um, are similar and uh, it was definitely helpful to have, have built uh, a fintech company before. And you don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? It's kind of a, a legacy and knowledge and experience that you could build upon. And you don't have to same, make the same mistake twice. Uh, Ideally not. The same front end yeah, I, of course it happens, but yeah, <laughs> I'd say nine times out of 10 it doesn't look from a positive angle. Yeah. Um, so looking ahead then, you guys are live in Germany, in the Netherlands, you say we built this company to be international. What's what's next for you guys? What's next for Recap? Yeah, so um, I think looking at the last year, uh, if if we want to summarize it, it's like we, we launched our first product in Germany, then we expanded to the Netherlands and we worked a lot on small, less visible things under the roof that ultimately helped making the product better. Um, and yeah, we we really wanted to understand how our customers use our product and what makes them happy about it and what not and, and how we can improve that. So it was really maybe quite stereotypical for a product market fit phase where you see, okay, it's working, but there are things that are not yet ideal that can be done better. Let's let's fix that fix that and and get uh, get it working even better. That was kind of the last year. Um, and this year, our focus is really all about uh, expansion. Um, and that that can be done in many different ways. Um, one thing is obviously that we want to bring our current product to new markets. Um, meaning uh, other industries, um, for example. So in the end, it's kind of last year we we built a fundament and this year we want to build quite a bit on top um, and expand, uh, uh, expand in different directions. Awesome. Great. So that's really exciting. So if people want to follow your story, follow kind of the, 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 the trajectory that you set out, where should they go? Website, LinkedIn, where can they best uh, follow you guys? And I, I would say uh, our website is definitely a, a good uh, a good starting point um, and LinkedIn as well. We are not uh, uh, very active uh, on on other uh, social media platforms, but uh, on our website, we, we just launched a blog uh, and it's very insightful. Um, uh, kudos to our marketing team. Uh, they really produced uh, some great first pieces of, uh, of content um, all about how to fund your company, how different financing instruments compare. So that's definitely something you should you should have a look um, at and typically um, on LinkedIn we also regularly share news um, and uh, uh, so I would say those two channels are definitely um, uh, yeah a way to reach out to us and and uh, see what's happening cool all right 
Great, Paul. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for sharing your insights into recap, but I think also the financing slash funding markets uh, in itself. Um, and good luck with uh, what lies ahead uh, for you guys. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of InCheck with Fintech. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the like button and leave us a comment below. We'll be having more industry leaders soon, so don't forget to subscribe as well in order to stay updated with the latest episodes of our podcast.